Tonight's reading is from Matthew 21, starting at verse 12, and can be found on page 989 in the Church Bibles in front of you. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. Wonderful. We've got Bibles. Get them open back to Matthew 21, verses 12 to 19. You'll need them. Um, and down here, there's a little table. So front row, watch out. We saw what happened in the story. So just, just a pre-warning. Um, but, but people, like, they do some things that, that, that surprise you sometimes. Like people you know really, really well, uh, they turn up and throw a curveball there. Like, um, this is my grandma. She's the one in the middle, in case you didn't know. Uh, there she is. And right, she is delightful. She's lovely. She uh, she makes jam. She makes marmalade. Not marmalade. She, she, she's part of the WI. Uh, she even does the flowers at church, right? Which makes uh, the events of the summer of 2016 all the more shocking. We were having a family murder mystery party. And Grandma, her character was the sleazy cook, Blanche Batters. And Grandma took to her role like a fish in water. I heard her say words that made my stomach curl. Grandma started saying things. Uh, things, things like knickers and, and bra. And, and, and we were sitting around the table going, like, mortified grandma! Like, it's shocking completely. Um, slight tangent. But, but, but Jesus, uh, in Matthew 21, he, he does some stuff that's quite shocking. Have a little look at me at verse 12. So, uh, Jesus entered the temple courts. That, that bit we get, that he's going there, he, he's going to pray, or discuss theology, isn't he? Uh, well, he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Like, there's a zealous passion and fire and zeal from Jesus that we just don't expect. Because sometimes we paint a picture of Jesus as a nice, mild, weak, feeble, peaceful man. And so we read this and we're like, whoa. Steady on, Jesus. And the thing is, he's gone to the temple, to the spiritual heart of the people, and he's found it wanting. He's found some problems in the old temple. And we're going to look at these two problems in the old temple. The first one is that there were outsiders outside the temple. There were outsiders outside. That, that, that sounds like it makes sense, but we'll see how wrong and messed up that is. Um. So Jesus goes to the temple, and uh, just a little bit of temple architecture 101 for you all. Uh, I know some of you are architects, so you're going to love this sort of stuff. Um, but the temple in Jerusalem in AD 30, see, there were different zones, different layers, which people could go to and couldn't go to, right? So imagine BH. This is the temple of Jerusalem. Now, 
around the outside, like the car park, the garden, that would, that would be the, the, the court of Gentiles, um, the place where non-Jews could go and worship and meet God and pray. But they couldn't go any further. And then uh, the lounge and the porch area, that would that, be what's called the, the, the court of women for Israelite ladies to go and worship and pray. And then where you're sitting, that's the court of Israel, where the Israelite men, the average Joe, could go and worship and pray and do their stuff. But you couldn't go any further. You couldn't come up here where I am. See where I am, the nave, this, was, was the court of priests or the sanctuary where the priests could go and do their stuff and worship and pray. But not even they could go into the most holy of holies, the chapel. Because that, that was reserved for the high priest to go in once a year. And there he could go and meet God face to face on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and there there'd be a massive thick curtain uh, which no one could go through apart from him on that one day a year. And see, our action in Matthew 21 takes place uh, in the court of Gentiles. So, so, so the car park garden thing, if you will. And did you see what was there when Jesus turns up? In verse 12, there's people buying and selling. There's money changers. There's people selling doves and animals. Uh, and see... What's going on is uh, people would flock to Jerusalem for, for the Passover, for the Passover week. And, and they'd come from all over the place with their dodgy money, their funny money from around the, around the place. And so they go to these, these, these exchanges and they exchange it for some pure gold, some beautiful tire coin, the, the, the best money around, the temple money, uh, extortionate rates. And then using that money, that they, they, they do some offerings and they'd also be able to buy their sacrifice. Because they, they wouldn't carry Sean all the way from wherever they've come from, over mountains, over hills, to Jerusalem. No, no, they'd come and buy it from the temple courts. So all this was going on in the court of Gentiles where people were supposed to pray and talk to God. I mean, like, like it, it, it would have been like, like Wembley Way on match day, right? Wembley Way, it's a walk from the stadium, to, from the tube station to the stadium. And you go along there, right? And people there are selling things in your face, overpriced tat that no one wants, like a scarf. And it's 24 degrees outside. That they sell you hot dogs and burgers and pizza and Thai food and everything. And it's overpriced, crowded, noisy, just like this court of Gentiles in Matthew 21. Because Josephus, an early historian, he says that, that in one part of a week, right, 255,000 lambs, or shawns, were sold and sacrificed in Jerusalem. So imagine the bleating, imagine the bars and the noise and the mess. And Gentiles were supposed to go and worship and pray to God in that? Like, I struggle praying to God when the dishwasher's on downstairs. Let alone when someone's shouting, five doves for a pen, get your fresh lamb here. Like, ridiculous. And so Jesus rocks up and he sees this mess. He hears this noise and a zealous passion burns within him. And he starts flipping tables, watch out, flipping tables, scattering the money and sending people fleeing the temple. Because all of this marketplace mess showed that the Pharisees and these tax collectors, these priests, they, well, they were after wealth over worship. Uh, they were out to make a quick buck and not interested in people praying to God. They were after wealth, not worship. And so Jesus clears the temple so that they, so they, that they disappear and the Gentiles can come in and worship and pray to God. 
And let's not lose the shock of this, right? Because the Jews of the day, they expect the Messiah to rock up. God's promised king to rock up in the temple courts and clear the temple of all Gentiles and foreigners. That was the expected norm. And yet Jesus, God's Messiah, God's king, rocks up. And he doesn't cleanse the temple courts of the Gentiles. He cleanses it for the Gentiles and the outsiders. See, the first issue of the old temple was that there were outsiders outside. And that's why Jesus starts quoting Isaiah 56 verse 7 in in verse 13. Have a little look there with me. Verse 13, my house will be called a house of prayer, Jesus says. And now, whenever we see the Old Testament in the New Testament, um, it's almost like a mini hyperlink or um, an Auntie Annie's pretzel sampler. You know, you go there and they give you a little sample so you can go in there and indulge in the full, real, big experience. But when you see the Old Testament and the New Testament, you're supposed to look back and dive into the Old Testament and see what the Old Testament tells us about this passage. And so we go to Isaiah 56 and we see two massive things. The first one. In Isaiah 56, it is God, the Lord Almighty, Yahweh speaking. And so as Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer. He's saying, I am God. And this is my house. And the second thing we learn, right, in Isaiah 56, is that it's a picture of all the nations coming to join in worshipping God. The the next words of this verse go, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so Jesus, as he says these words, he's basically saying, this is my house and it's meant for everyone. And that's why this money-changing rubbish brings out a zealous passion from Jesus. Because there were outsiders outside the temple. And I wonder if that's true of us here at BH or, or at KO. Like, who are the outsiders uh, in our church? Because the answer, it should be no one. Whenever anyone walks through those doors or comes through those doors for KO, they're welcome. We don't discount, discredit, or ignore them for any reason. We go there, we say hello, we love them, and we treasure them, and we say, welcome, you are so loved and valued. And see, that's on every single one of us, not, not, not just the staff, not just the welcome team, it's on all of us to be a welcoming church that no one is an outsider. And if you do feel like an outsider here or have felt like an outsider before at BH, can I say I'm really, really sorry? And can I also say that you are so welcome? You are so valued here. Because in the old temple, the first problem was that there were outsiders outside. And then the second problem, well, was that there were hypocrites inside. See, that's the next part of of, uh, verse 13, um, where Jesus says, My house we call a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. See, that's another little hyperlink and another little auntie Annie's pretzel sampler. So we go back and we get to this passage in Jeremiah 7, verse 9 to 11, where God says, Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and then come and stand before me in this house and say, We are safe. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. See, hypocrisy was rife in Jeremiah's day, was rife in Jesus' day, and I think it's rife now in our church too. Not this church, but in the wider church. 
See, because the, the, the priests, see, they would live their normal life outside the, outside um, the temple, like doing their evil deeds, stealing, murder, adultery, idolatry, all these filthy things. And then come to church and go, oh, praise the Lord, isn't he great? Let's sacrifice a, a, a sheep. Like, like, double standards, hypocrisy. And see, Jesus is warning by quoting at Jeremiah 7, verse 9 to 11, he's, he's saying God's watching. God sees. There were hypocrites inside. Um, and that's why Jesus does a weird thing with a fig tree. Do you notice that? Now, preachers, we're told to use illustrations, to use like picture language, to make you guys listen so you don't fall asleep. Um, and that's our job, right? But um, Jesus, as the greatest preacher of all time, he uses a, an amazing picture to help us understand this. He goes to a fig tree in verse 19. Have a little look with me there, verse 19. Seeing a fig tree by the side of the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again, and immediately the tree withered. So uh, on these fig trees uh, uh, over there, there were little nodules, which were apparently like beautiful things that tasted like pure honey and delight for travelers to go and eat and pick and, and enjoy. And Jesus looks at this tree that looks healthy on the outside, looks beautiful and green and big, and he goes to go and eat some nodule of honey fig, and there's nothing. The the, the tree that looks healthy is diseased, defiled, and decaying on the inside. And guess who is described as a fig tree in uh, Jeremiah chapter 8 and Micah chapter 7? God's people Israel. So Jesus goes to the fig tree looking for fruit and finds none. He goes to the temple looking for fruitful people who are praying, living godly lives, and he finds none. And he curses that fig tree and he judges it. And by flipping the tables, he's judging the temple and the people inside the temple. Because there were hypocrites inside And I wonder, is that true of us here at BH? Like, do we look really good on the outside, like busy doing our serving, like loving God on a Sunday, but actually our insides are completely different stories going on inside. And so we're going to have a little pause in the middle of the sermon just to reflect on ourselves, because if we see hypocrisy in our hearts, Jesus is warning us. So let's spend some time reflecting, thinking, and saying sorry for that. And we're going to do that in three ways. Um, There were three questions on the board up there. And we're going to reflect on the hypocrisy in our lives over those three questions and say sorry. So number one, are you different uh, on Monday to Saturday to Sunday? Number two, do you have higher standards for everyone else and low standards for yourself? And number three, do you pray? So we're going to spend 30 seconds, 40 seconds, just looking inside ourselves, uh, thinking through those questions and saying sorry to God, and then we'll come back to Matthew 21. So a temple had hypocrites inside. And if we see hypocrisy in our hearts, Jesus is warning us because unchecked hypocrisy is deadly. And so what's the antidote? Well, Jesus tells us that as he goes through. Uh, did you see in, in um, verse 13, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. See, prayer is the antidote to hypocrisy. No one sees when you pray. No one hears when you pray. No one knows what's going on in your heart when you pray, except the Almighty. And so prayer is the antidote. See, um, uh, in, in, in the New Testament, our bodies are called temples of the Holy Spirit, temples of the living God. And so where Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer, we look at ourselves and go, is my body a house of prayer? 
So have a little look at your gangly arms and your legs and your funny hairstyles. And look and ask yourself, is my body a house of prayer? Do you pray? We just had 24-7 prayer week, and what a week it's been in that prayer and praying away. Now, let's be a church of 24-7 praying people. Like praying all the time. And so a few ways to help you. Um, there are these books uh, which are absolutely awesome. They're five things to pray for people. Um, they are incredible. Get one of those to help you pray and be a praying person. Or why not um, form a little prayer triplet? Like, KO, you could do this. Like a little group of three of you uh, meet after school on Thursday at Costa and pray together. That would be awesome. Or like on the way to work, pray. On the way back from work, on the way back from school, pray. Because prayer will kill hypocrisy. <laughs> So Jesus comes to the old temple and he sees these two problems that were outsiders outside and hypocrites inside. And so he flips the tables, scatters the coins. But that might seem like a little extreme reaction for us until we realize that the temple was a signpost. Now, um, when I was dating my wife Lizzie, or my now wife Lizzie, um, I, I came down to BH on a Sunday, my, my first time, and, and I, I thought, I can do it, no sat-nav for me, no map for me, I'm just going to make it from London to Brighton easy and make it in time for the service. And so I kept coming down the road, driving around, um, and, and, and I, I come to um, the signpost down at, you know, the Coral's Gym signpost that says Bishop Hainton Church, and I follow it, going, yes, I'm going to be there, perfect time for church. And I, I ended up at Toys R Us, ended up down by the seafront. I ended up going down past Aldrin's and down that windy little road that leads. Like, I, I was lost. I was like, no, absolutely nowhere because the signpost was pointing in the wrong direction. Do, do, do you remember that? Some scoundrel turned it around. Couldn't believe it. Shocking. Um, but, but, and a dodgy signpost is absolutely useless. Like, a dodgy signpost is absolutely useless. And the temple was a dodgy signpost. See, the temple was meant to point to a glorious new temple. And it was a mess. It was meant to point to a glorious new temple. And that new temple is Jesus. In John 2, we learn that Jesus is the new temple. And let's have a look at how the new temple acts. Have a little look at verse 14 with me. The blind... And the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Like, like the blind and the lame, the outcasts, the outsiders, the, the, the ones that no one cared about, the ones that were blocked from coming to the old temple, are welcome to, with Jesus. He wants them in. Like, like it, 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 it's kind of like um, a light in the darkness. Uh, and all these denizens of the night, the creepy, crawly things, the uh, weird, grotesque, flying things, uh, and the horrible insects, they flock to the light, to Jesus. Because in this glorious new temple, the outsiders are inside. The outsiders are welcomed in. See, the Pharisee, or the, the, the priests and the temple people, they wanted the outsiders outside. Jesus wants them inside. What do what we here at BH want for outsiders? See, this has been really challenging me, and I've got a few ways I'm, I'm going to take this further forward. If you want to chat to me after, do. But um, the ways we can do that, maybe, maybe it means us going out to bring people in. Who are the outsiders in our community? Well, what about the homeless people? Maybe we could join Off the Fence and the Antifreeze Project helping there, or, or City Mission and their food bank, or Night Shelter next year, and serving our 
outsiders. Or what about close to home, in our schools? Who's that boy that, that, that everyone bullies and no one really likes? Or, or at work, who's that girl that everyone gossips about and complains and moans about? Or on your street, who is that family that's just weird? Like, they're the outsiders. Go to them. Go and bring them in. Be their friend. Get them around to your house for a meal. Show them the love and the compassion of Jesus. Because look, he heals them. He welcomes them in. Because the outsiders are welcome in, in this glorious new temple. And that even includes little kids. Did you see that in verse 15? The little kids. It's great. I love it. The, 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 the children are shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David! And... The chief priests and teachers of the law were indignant. Let's not miss the irony of, irony of that, right? Because these stupid little kids who know absolutely nothing get it. They get it far more than the highly trained teachers of the law who have been through intense theological training. The little kids get it. And the chief priests and teachers of the law, they're more frustrated, more annoyed, more indignant over what the children cry than the state of their temple. They've got screwed up priorities. And I wonder, do we do that here at BH? Do do, do we get incensed and angry over stupid little things that don't matter? And we ignore the greater gospel going out. Because the children, they cry, Son of David. And see, that um, that in itself is, is a loaded term in Matthew. That appears nine times in Matthew's gospel. And four times it appears as a cry for help from the poor and needy. And it refers to God's promised king. And it refers to God's promised king coming to save and help the outsider. And that is sensational news for every single one of us. Because God's king, Jesus, comes to help the outsider. And every single one of us was an outsider before Jesus brought us in, weren't we? We were as far as possible from the holy of holies, the God, God Almighty himself, stained with sin. We were alienated, Colossians 1 talks about, as far away from him, out of his presence, out of his family, and no hope of getting back. Spiritual outsiders. And so God sends his son, Jesus, to die. Jesus dies an outsider's death, literally outside the city. Hebrews 13, verse 13 talks about. Uh, He dies as an outsider so that we could be brought in forever. Have a little look at um, page 999, Matthew 27, verse 51 with me. And this is so exciting. This is as Jesus is dying. Matthew 27, page 999 in your Bibles, verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple curtain bisected. One commentator said the secrets that were hidden behind it were now revealed for the whole world to enjoy. As Jesus died, that temple curtain blocking people from meeting the the, the, the living God was ripped apart. So that anyone and everyone who trusts in that glorious new temple in Jesus Christ can go and have a relationship with the living God. Jesus died as an outsider so that we could be brought in forever. And Matt Chandler, he says this, he says, that's also why we love the outsiders. Because 
We were the outsider. That's our story. We were outsiders and God went to the cross and back to bring us in. And so just a word to you who feel like an outsider, who, who feel different from everyone else around you here at church, who, who feel lonely, feel alone, feel outcast, to, to you who, who feel too stained with sin to be a Christian, too messed up, too broken. Look at the cross. Look at the lengths God went to to bring you in. Jesus Christ died as an outsider, so he knows. He knows better than anyone else what it is like to be an outsider. He's been there. And see, he died as an outsider so that you could be brought in forever. And so if you trust in Jesus, this is the truth. You are never, ever, ever an outsider. You've been brought in to the family of God. That is exciting, isn't it? And so, Jesus comes to the temple, and he, he comes to it, and he sees that the temple was filled with hypocrites and empty of outsiders. So he rocks up, and he empties it of the hypocrites, and in his death, he fills it with outsiders. So how do we respond to all this? Well, um, it's the theme of our service, actually, and... It's what the children are doing. Because children, they sometimes get things so badly wrong and messed up, don't they? They say some stupid things that are ridiculous. Sorry if you're a child in here. Um, but, 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 but here, they get it so right. Like they hit the nail on the head. They shout Hosanna to the Son of David. They praise God. And the right response to Jesus, uh, the one who died on the outside to bring us in forever, is praise. And so we're going to sing a praise song to that glorious God in a minute. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, the band can come up and they'll be listening to our song to praise God for Jesus. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that Jesus died as an outsider to bring us in forever. And so, Father, if we feel alone, different, if we feel like an outcast on the side, on the outside, Father, thank you that Jesus died to bring us in. Would we know that? And Father, if we see hypocrisy in our heart, help us to battle that and flee from that. And would we not put any barriers up stopping people coming to church and coming to you? Because Jesus died to welcome everyone in. And that is awesome news. Amen.